blessed us so abundantly as we give back a token of what is all already yours. We pray that you would use it for the work of your kingdom and that you'd use it to bring many to know you. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand. Remain standing for the reading of God's word. be reading this morning from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Last semester uh, at RUF at FAU, we went through a sermon series on the parables and the miracles that we see in the Gospels, understanding who Jesus is and uh, the nature of the kingdom through those lenses. And so I wanted to bring to you this morning uh, this parable uh, from Luke chapter 18. Hear God's word this morning. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. And not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of God. Our father, we come before you this morning with your word open before us. Before the one to whom our hearts lie open as well. And God, we ask that you will apply the truth of your word this morning to the depths of our soul. May we be transformed by the reading. May we be transformed by the power of your spirit. May we leave here this morning know that we have heard from you. That the hope of Christ is ours as well. We ask this in his name. Amen. I ask you this morning, how would your life look different if your prayers from the last week had all been clearly answered by the Lord? How would your life be different this morning if your prayers from the last week had all been answered? I'm not asking you how you wish your life was different today, but in specifically to the way in which you have prayed over the past week. For some of you, you might be able to think uh, very clearly about the things that have been pressing on your heart and the way in which you have laid them bare before the Lord. And you know very clearly in the way in which you are seeking and hoping that the Lord will answer these requests that you have laid before them. For some of us, that might be a convicting thought. Maybe we have spun more in our anxiety over the past week then we've actually spent in prayer. And maybe the concerns of our heart have only stayed the concerns of our heart without actually addressing them before the Lord in prayer. As you can see this morning, the parable that Jesus gives us is a parable about prayer. In my work on a college campus is I get to know students and I interact with them, whether we sit down for lunch or coffee or just in an interaction throughout the week. I regularly am meeting with them and Often, as you would imagine, the conversations that we present to them, I'm seeking to ascertain how are they doing in their walk with Christ? What is their, what is their spiritual journey? What is their story? Are they a follower of Jesus? 
And what does it look like for them to follow Christ in the current present moment? It's interesting to me how often quickly they confess this sense of, I know that I don't pray as much as I should. I know I haven't read my Bible as much as I should. And I know I could pray more. Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows how difficult it is to pray. Maybe you feel that same sense this morning. And often around this topic of prayer, we feel a sense of guilt or shame or cynicism. Knowing that we could have done more. But Jesus comes to us with a parable this morning, not to bring guilt, not to bring shame, but he comes to us with a parable to encourage us. Jesus wants you to pray. Jesus wants his people to pray and to not give up. He gives us this parable this morning with that simple understanding that he wants you, he wants me to pray. Some of the parables that you've read in the Gospels and no doubt that you have studied are are cryptic and challenging. They often are not very straightforward. They can leave you scratching your head as you think about what does this mean about the parable of the dishonest manager? And what is behind this this parable of of the workers in the vineyard where the, the order of payments gets reversed and everybody is paid the same? And it's one of those moments where you think to yourself, I need to set myself an appointment to go see Pastor Seth and ask him, how do I understand God's word in this parable? But Luke chapter 18, I believe, is a, is a pretty straightforward parable. Jesus is seeking to, to encourage his people and for us to not leave wondering or guessing or scratching our heads, but really for us to apply the truth of this word that will be a people marked by prayer. So what I want to do this morning is spend a little bit of time unpacking this actual parable and then spend a little bit more time seeking to apply it to our hearts so that we might leave here encouraged Challenged, convicted, but hopefully marked once again with a renewed desire to pray. So let's open God's word. What is it that he would have us to see this morning? The first thing I believe that we should see in this passage is that God himself is greater than this unjust judge. God is greater than this unjust judge. And truly our situation and our relationship with him is greater than that. Of this widow. Notice what Jesus tells us about this, about this judge. Uh, he's a pretty terrible person. He neither fears God nor respects man. And if you're new to God's word, the parables that Jesus uses, they're, they're not true stories as they were, but Jesus is, is using everyday, uh, examples, everyday stories in order to communicate a truth of who he is. I think of the, the Dutch reformed, uh, Christian school that I grew up in where my fifth grade teacher had taught us Parables are simply earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. What a great little definition that has stuck with me over the years. This is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This isn't necessarily a true story, but Jesus is pressing in upon us something that he wants us to see and to understand. This judge, he tells us, is a pretty terrible person. He doesn't fear God, and he doesn't respect man. If you think about it, what would it be like to have a judge who feared God? Well, he would be someone who knows that his authority has only been granted to him by a greater authority on high. And that the judgments that he renders is simply a reflection of the very God of the universe who set in motion all that is true and right and good and orderly. And that one day he himself will give an account to that God. And so therefore there would be a gravity to his judgments and his rulings as he goes to work every day seeking to bring justice to those who come before him but this judge jesus tells us well he doesn't fear god 
you have a judge that doesn't fear God, maybe we would hope that, well, maybe at least he cares about the people in front of him. Maybe hopefully he respects the one who's coming before them. But Jesus, again, tells us not only does he not fear God, he neither respects man. And that's the way in which this judge even refers to himself. He says, I neither fear God nor respect man. This is a pretty horrible person. If he respected man, at least he would hear the case. He would understand the person that's before him. He would at least try to unfold for them a sense of justice to make their day the way it should be. But that's not the situation that we have. So here we have this unjust judge. And who's coming before him today? I almost feel like the setup for this is like if you've ever seen any of the, the TV shows of like the, the courtroom, uh, the courtroom TV that's probably not real, Judge Judy or whatever the, the court may be, and they, they present the case before the court today that's going to be presenting their case. And here Jesus is doing the same. Verse three, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice. Against my adversary. Now we know if we're following the logic of what Jesus is telling us that this woman should have no, she should have no expectation of a favorable ruling. She's standing before a judge who neither fears God nor respects man, and she comes with herself with no authority, no power, nothing on which that she can ingratiate herself to this judge that she might be heard, that she might be respected, that justice might be restored to her. As you probably well know, a widow in the first century was someone who lived a very poor, needy, oppressed life. If her husband was wealthy and had left behind an estate, it would not have been inherited by his wife. It would have been passed on to the heirs. If she remained in her husband's family, she likely had a servile position. If the family of that husband wanted to keep her around, they would have made her some sense of a servant. And if she would have gone back to her original family... And where she grew up, it would have been expected that her family would have repaid the dowry that was given to them at her wedding. See, to be a widow in the first century was an incredibly, horribly oppressive position to be in. She had no right standing. She had no legal standing. And here she is coming before an unjust judge pleading her case. When I was in seminary, I worked one summer. You know, when you're in seminary, you work whatever job you can find to try to help make ends meet. And one summer, I, I got a job working on a construction crew uh, framing houses. Uh, it was a, a friend of a friend that made the connection, and I got hired on by this general contractor framing framing houses. And it would often happen at the end of the week, whenever he would go to pay us, that this general contractor would come to us and say, Hey, guys, I'm a little bit short this week. Can I take care of you next week? And I would always leave going home that weekend thinking, I have no paperwork. I have no schedule that's been approved. I have just the only trust that hope that this man's going to follow through. And this uncertainty of will he actually be true to his word and will he be faithful and will he be just. And thankfully, over the course of that summer, whether he was really short on cash or not, I don't know. He always followed through and he always made everything right. And he always made everything whole. But in that same summer, as we were working and you're talking with other folks on the job sites and getting to know other people, we learned about another, con- uh, another general contractor in the area who would hire undocumented immigrants in order to put them to work so that he could intentionally shortchange them and not pay them at the end of the week, knowing they had no legal standing or authority by which they could get recourse to get paid. And you hear a story like that, and even just for a fraction of the insecurity that I felt made me appreciate the, the utter destitution that they must have felt providing for their family of longing for justice, 
Just give me what's rightfully owed. And here, Jesus sets us up with a very similar story of this widow coming before this judge. Give me justice against my adversary. And she kept coming, and she kept coming, and she kept coming. We're told in verse 4 that though for a while this judge refused, afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. In the original language, that word for bothering means essentially to be annoying. It means to kind of continually poke somebody in the eye. Literally, it means to give them a black eye. Now, of course, she's not physically doing that, but she's consistently and constantly before him. And finally, he relents and he finally agrees that he is going to give her justice. And do you see what Jesus is doing in this passage? He tells us in verse 6, if you hear what this unrighteous judge says, understand this verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to them day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Jesus, as he so often does, is arguing from from the lesser to the greater. He's saying that the God of the universe, the God who we are in covenant relationship with because of the work of Christ, is greater than this unjust judge. And if this widow, who has no authority, who has no power, who has no right standing, if this widow can come before an unrighteous judge and because of her continual pleading finally find justice, Jesus is saying how much greater of an expectation should you and I have as we come before God. And plead our case and continually pray for him, to him. A God who loves us, who cares for us, who knows us and draws near to us because of the work of Christ on our behalf. Jesus is calling us to see God is greater than this unjust judge. And you, because of your relationship with Christ, are in a far greater position before him than this widow before this judge. And while I know that in this room there's no doubt unanswered prayers, there's prayers that you have been wrestling with for years at times, we can rest assured that God is not playing games with us. He is not, uh, he is not silent. His ears are not stopped. God himself hears the prayers of his people. Jesus is telling us this parable so that we might pray. And not lose heart. So if the first thing for us to see in this passage is that God is greater than this unjust judge, let's talk about some of the ways in which this parable fleshes itself out and the nature of prayer and a relationship that we have to it. Here's the second thing that I want you to see this morning is that God calls us to pray because he answers prayer. That's what Jesus is wanting us to see in this passage. God calls us to pray because he answers prayer. You might think to yourself, well, why should I pray if God already knows then why should I pray? You see, ingrained in our heart is this nature of skepticism that believes that, well, if God is in control and if he already knows everything that's going to happen anyways, then why should I even bother? And some of you might even fall into a cynical nature to think to yourself, I don't even bother to pray for this particular instance or this particular situation before us because I know it won't change. I know that my family member won't change. I know that the work situation won't change. I know that the situation, that whatever it is that's before us, will not change. And so why bother? And yet what Jesus is calling us to see directly in this parable and throughout Scripture, what God's Word calls us consistently to see is that, yes, God is sovereign. God is control. He can do whatever He pleases. And one of the ways in which, one of the ways in which God executes His plan is through the prayers of 
of his people. He commands us to pray. He invites us to pray because he uses our prayers to execute the very will that he has for his people and for the world in which we live. There's mystery in that. There's uncertainty in how all of these things uh, coalesce to make it happen. And yet at the same time is exactly where God's word leads us to see that he himself is at work through the prayers of his people. Theologically, the word that we often use for those who, who don't feel that God is at work in this world are those who are called their deists. Those who, who believe that there's a God maybe who exists, who created the world, but then just step back from it. Set all the events in motion and just step back and never interacts and never interferes and never hears and never is involved in the world in which we live. I've never met anybody, I don't believe, who actively identifies himself as a deist. I can't think of a student that I've ever talked to on campus as we've talked about spiritual matters that says, well, I'm actually a deist. I go to the, I go to the church plant down the street. That's the deist church of America. We don't believe that there's a God who exists and, you know, that interacts in this world, but we believe that he's out there somewhere. And yet at the same time, I've met many people, and maybe I've seen it in my own life, that our prayer life reflects a practical deism, that there's not a God who actually hears and there's not a God who listens. And there's not a God who's involved and who's at work in our lives. God commands us. Jesus is calling us to pray because God loves to answer prayer. Whenever I was early on my years in RUF, just out of seminary, my wife and I, we, we you know, kind of those first couple of years out, we had a, a couple of kids. Uh, we we're raising support. We we're just out of seminary. Finances were tight. Uh, and I remember this time whenever uh, back and when we were in Tampa at the University of South Florida that I had an old dying truck that was on its last legs and finally took it to the mechanic to have him give me the, the you know, give me the, the synopsis. What am I looking at here? And he came back to me with the news. He said, you have a cracked uh, engine block and a blown head gasket. And we're at the best case scenario, $500. I might be able to get this thing back running, but it's just not worth it. And I had RUF that night, and so it's one of those moments where I'm thinking to myself, come home, and I tell Jenny, my wife, kind of the story of what this mechanic has said, and I've thought to myself, $500 might as well be $5 million in that moment, right? Like you're, you're thinking, we don't have the extra resources to get this, this vehicle fixed. I don't know what I'm going to do, but the only thing I can do right now is I have RUF tonight, and I've got to go to campus, and we're going to go, and I'm going to preach the word, and We'll pray and we'll trust and believe that God's going to be at work somehow through this scenario. So we go and go to RUF that night, lead the ministry as we would normally do, as I normally did every week, and come home that night. And as was my tradition, I'd check the mailbox whenever I'd come in. And someone, over the course of those couple of hours, had stuffed an envelope with $500 in cash in the mailbox of our front door. I hadn't told anybody about what the what the mechanic had actually told me on the details and the specifics of what it had. I had only told our the guy that helped us lead worship that night that, you know, he told me about some bad news that he'd had at work. And I said, yeah, and my truck broke down. And we kind of laughed and went on about our day. And here sitting in the mailbox was an envelope with $500 in cash. Maybe the better miracle is the fact that it was still there. But how, it's almost as if God knew exactly what our needs were. And in that moment, it was a reflection of God hears and he knows. But that's not the end of the story because my wife and I still had the, the debate, what do we do with this? What do we do with this vehicle? It's probably not worth repairing. 
And so a couple of days later, she's on the phone with one of her family members. And as her, as her aunt, her aunt asked her, how are you guys doing? And let me, I mean, are you guys really doing okay? And Jenny said, well, there's something you can pray about. And she told her about this situation. And her aunt said, Jenny, we just bought a brand new car. And we were gonna, we were gonna turn in the old vehicle that we had, an old Explorer. But we decided not to because we thought there's gotta be somebody in ministry that could use this thing. Would you like to have it? We'll give it to you. And she gave it to us. And when I took it to the mechanic, he said, this thing has stage four cancer. Don't get attached to it. And it lasted, and it lasted for four more years. And I look back at that story whenever it finally died, and I finally turned it in. I called those family members and said, thank you so much. What a testimony of the way that God is at work on both ends of the story. You're praying for somebody to give it to. We're in a need praying for God to answer this prayer and how he's magically worked, mysteriously worked, in order to bring these events together to answer prayer. I know it doesn't always happen that way, but I know that if we could all share testimony of God's faithfulness to us, all of us would have stories of the way in which we can see God has answered prayers time and time again. And Jesus is telling us in this passage to pray and to not give up, to pray and to not lose heart, because God himself loves to answer prayer. But let's take it a step further. Jesus doesn't just tell us to pray because God himself answers prayer. Jesus calls us then. The third thing is to pray and to pray and to not lose heart. Jesus calls us to pray and to not lose heart or to pray and to not give up. Notice what he says at verse 1. I've already alluded to it a number of times. Jesus told them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Think of the kindness. Think of the kindness That Jesus gives. Knowing it's hard to pray. He knows we'll be prone to give up. He knows we'll be tempted to lose heart. And he says I want to tell you a parable. So that you don't give up. I want to tell you a parable so that you don't lose heart. The reason why you tell somebody I want to tell you this so that you don't give up. Is because we know that the thing that you're about to do is going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. You're going to be prone to believe that he doesn't hear. I've never had to tell my kids I want you to eat that whole bowl of ice cream and don't give up. They do it because it's easy and they love it. Prayer, if we acknowledge it, is hard. And Jesus knows this and he tells us to pray and to not give up. It makes me think of, it's almost like if you can think of a, of a military in battle fighting against the forces of evil, calling in for reinforcements and the reinforcements don't come in fast enough. And isn't there a temptation in that moment to go, well, if they're not coming, maybe we should just surrender. Maybe we should just give up and we'll turn ourselves in. You see, to give up on prayer is to turn back on God. To give up on prayer is to give ourselves over to the evil one and to believe that God himself is not at work, that God himself doesn't hear, and that God himself doesn't know. I know that before all of you, at some level and at some situation, at some stage of life, God has laid a difficult road before you. For some of you, that might be acutely felt this morning. Perhaps you can identify with this widow who feels hopeless and defenseless and as if there's, there's, no, uh, there's no expectation of change coming before her. But I want to assure you this morning that we believe that the heart of the gospel is the truly what the word means, good news, that though we all are like this widow in our sin, that we all have wandered and have strayed, that we all have abandoned, uh, we've all abandoned God's word in our sinfulness, God in his kindness and compassion has drawn near to us, has sent his son 
to take the penalty of the sin that we have committed, to take the justice that we deserve so that we might be transformed by the power of his spirit, making us, well, his sons and his daughters. By uniting himself to us as he calls the church his bride. And so because of that, we can come with this assurance to pray and to not give up because God himself is not some aloof judge standing off in the distance. But he's one in covenant kindness and compassion and love who is drawn near to his people. And so he calls us to pray. And he calls us to pray and to not give up. He tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That doesn't mean that we have to somehow figure out the mysterious nature of God's will that we, that's, that's kind of remain hidden from us. It means that we're called to pray according to what's been revealed to us in God's word. That if we pray according to his word, he hears us. Sure, pray for the parking spot that you need. Pray for all of the, the details that come out to your life, but we're called to pray according to the things that God has told us in his word, God will never confirm to you in prayer something that's contradictory to what he's revealed in his word. How often we need that truth cemented into our hearts and our minds. God will never confirm to us in prayer something that's contradicted his word. But he calls us to pray and to pray according to his word. And you can even see that in this passage as this widow is she's she's praying for justice. Give me justice against my adversary. And isn't it true then that God himself will give justice to those, he says, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? No, he says in verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We can pray and rest assured that even if our prayers in this life remain unanswered, even if the things that we long for in this, high, in this life fall short, even if the, the cures and the hopes, well, in this world, are never satisfied in the way that we had longed and hoped for, we can rest assured and comforted that this life is not the end, and this life is not the final story, that this isn't the final chapter, but that God himself is working and will bring true justice because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And we know that in the new heavens and the new earth, God himself will make amends on all that is experienced in this world. And we'll be able to look and to see and to be amazed and stunned and to say, truly, God is good. He is faithful and he is true. And so what do we do? Well, we pray. We pray and we don't give up. We pray because we know that the God that we pray to is greater than this unjust judge and that we ourselves aren't widows in his presence, but as those who are united to Christ are his sons and his daughters are the very bride of Christ. And that God hears our prayers. He calls us to pray because God loves to answer prayers. That God uses our prayers to accomplish his will in some mysterious fashion, unfolding the plan and the mysteries by using the very prayers of his people. So he calls us to pray and to be faithful. A professor of mine in seminary, Dr. Doug Kelly, told this story about a friend of his, a pastor named Willie Black. Willie was a pastor in Scotland, faithfully pastoring a church in the northern, in the northern parts of Scotland uh, for over 10 years, faithfully preaching God's word and discipling the people and pastoring them and leading them 
uh, in their walk with Christ. And as a desire as this pastor for his congregation, Willie wanted his, his pastors or wanted his pastor, his people, uh, to have a heart for mission. And so from time to time, he would invite missionaries to come to give a missionary's uh, update to tell of the way in which God has been at work on the mission field. And he said there's one particular Sunday where he had invited a friend of his to come from Korea, to come from the Overseas Missionary Fellowship and to share the testimony of what God has done and to preach the sermon that morning. And as he was preaching the word and as he was reflecting on the work that God was doing in Korea, Willie Black, the pastor of this church, was overcome with an overwhelming sense of conviction of being called to the mission field. A powerful experience that he said I'd never felt in my life was almost had pinned me to the chair that it was like the overwhelming presence of God was laid upon me that God was calling me to leave this church and to go to Korea. When the sermon had finished, he didn't know that he would even be able to stand up and go up to give the closing remarks and to give the benediction. But as the sermon concluded, he was able to find his footing and got up and gave the closing remarks and gave the benediction and kind of went home that day. And he says, as a good Scotsman, put away all of his feelings and emotions and felt like I'm just going to treat that as if it was just an anomaly. But the burden kept nagging. And he and his family were going on vacation the next day. And he did something he would normally never do. He kind of I mean, he told his wife about it, but he did something he would normally never do. He said to the Lord as he prayed about it, he said, Lord, if this is your will for me, make it abundantly clear. And if anybody on this trip uses the word Korea, then I'll know that you've called me to go there. I'm not saying this is what we should do, but it's what he did. And so they stayed that night at a friend's house. And he started telling the friend a little bit about the church service the morning prior. Careful not to name any names. Careful to not name any regions. Careful for sure to not name any countries. And his friend looked at him jokingly and says, ha, maybe God's calling you to Korea. And he said, I sat there, he said, I sat there stunned. He said, you could have knocked me over with a feather. But over the course of the days and the weeks and the months ahead, as he and his wife talked about it and prayed about it, of course it wasn't simply because of that one decision. He realized God was calling him to Korea. And so he left the church and moved across the world and got to Korea, went through all of the missionary training and the process and the fundraising, all of the support that was needed. And the first month when he's living in Korea, received a knock on the door, a complete stranger, someone that he'd never met. It was a Korean man who was standing before him, and he said, we know that you're a new missionary who's come to our country. Will you teach me and will you teach several of my pastor friends how to preach expository sermons from the Word of God. And Willie said, i kind of taken aback, and I told him, I said, you know, I, I'm still in the training motions, I'm still in the training of, of, of what this missions agency has called me to do, but internally he thought to himself, this is bizarre because this is exactly what God has called me to do, to come to t- train local pastors how to preach expositorily. And as I continued to talk, that man standing before him said, well, we have been praying. And we've been praying that God would send somebody to teach us how to pray or how to, how to preach. And we've been praying, and when he told him the date, it lined up exactly to the same month whenever that overwhelming sense of the Spirit of God had fallen upon him in that church service that morning of God calling him to leave the church to go to Korea. And he said, I was overwhelmed and amazed at the way in which God was working on both ends of the story. Here he himself has been praying for his congregation and praying for a heart for missions, not realizing that God was working in his own heart. And at the same time, here are these group of Christians, these group of pastors praying in Korea that God would move 
and somebody to come and to train and to teach them to pray. Jesus is telling us in Luke chapter 18, pray and don't give up. Pray and don't lose heart. Your God hears, he knows, he sees, he listens, and he loves to answer prayer. Let me pray for us. Father, we do humbly bow before you this morning as we've heard your word. That you are a God who hears. You're a God who loves. You call us to come into your presence and pray. You tell us this parable so that we don't come with fear that you'll be tired of hearing from us. But you call us so that we'll come consistently and persistently to pray. So, Lord, will you hear the the cries of your people this morning? The things that have been mentioned even in the pastoral prayer this morning and the unspoken uh, prayers of the hearts of your people this morning. And will you make us and mark us as a people who are known by prayer, who come before you with expectation, believing that you hear and you answer and you know. And we ask that you go before us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, If you'll stand where hymn of response is hymn number 30.